Pop Culture Affidavit, Episode 98, Tales of the Dark Knight. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that covers everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. Well, 30 years ago, the first of the Tim Burton Batman movies arrived in theaters to an enormous amount of fanfare and hype and went on to be the highest grossing movie of the year in a year that was jam-packed with big movies. And not only that, that movie, the movie of the decade, as one critic called it, came out on my 12th birthday. So if there's any point where my Batman fandom was to begin, it was right then and there. And so on June 23rd, 1989, I invited my friends to the movies for my 12th birthday, and we went to see Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. So you can go ahead and turn this podcast off because that, I believe, automatically disqualifies me from ever podcasting about Batman. Plus, I have not done the postgraduate work. I've not submitted my license application to any of the governing boards. So really, I am completely unqualified here. And uh, even mentioning Batman puts me in violation of all sorts of Batman podcasting regulations. So I'm sure I'll be bat-splained too in the feedback for this episode if I even get any. But I will do my best to handle it because I want to talk about Batman. And, uh, and I want to talk about how I became a fan of the character. You know, if you can call me a fan again. I don't have any certification to be a Batman fan either. And um, I want to talk about what was deter- influential in like determining what I read, enjoyed, and kept returning to during my time reading Batman comics. Because I read Batman from about 1990 to uh, to the early 2000s, really, really focusing on that first sort of half of the 90s, and really being into the character back then, and then kind of tapering off over the years. So my Batman phase was the, uh, was the early, early 90s. But I didn't read just those. I just I've I've read this wide swath of Batman stuff. Even back then, I did. And uh, and I, what I want to do is talk about that. But this episode won't really be covering any specific issues of Batman Detective or any of the other comics he's been appearing in for the past eighty years. Instead, I will be telling you my Batman origin story through the lens of a few pieces of media that led me to my Batman fandom, and then I will spend most of the episode focusing on Mark Cadavaz's 1989 book, Tales of the Dark Knight, Batman's First 50 Years. Now, I can't honestly remember when I actually first saw Batman. 
I know that at some point I owned a copy of The Brave and the Bold number 182, which is the issue where Batman goes to Earth 2 and he teams up with Robin, uh, that Earth's Robin, to defeat that Earth's Hugo Strange. And I know that when I was in, I think, preschool or kindergarten, I was Batman for Halloween. I know that I watched reruns of the Super Friends and the Scooby-Doo Batman and Robin episodes when I was little. I know that the licensing art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, really formed my opinion of what Batman was supposed to look like. And I know that despite my misguided deed of seeing the worst of the original crew Trek movies on June 23rd, 1989, I still went out and bought two Batman t-shirts that summer. I did go see the movie. I owned it on VHS. I have it on DVD. Now, like I said, 1990 was when I started reading the comics. Uh, the first comics I bought off the stands with my own money were Batman's 450 and 451 and then Detective Comics number 617. And that's the story where the Joker returned to the comics after being uh, what they thought, well, kind of, quote, killed, or at least he, he got away or they thought he was killed at the end of a death in the family. And, and it's at the end of a lonely place of dying, it's hinted that, yeah, he's alive somewhere because he was the voice in the radio behind uh, Two-Face. Spoiler alert. Um, and then that was followed up in the Batman title by Dark Knight, Dark City. And a four-part storyline in Detective where Tim Drake's parents are kidnapped and his mom uh, was eventually killed, which would eventually lead him to becoming Robin. But it's not like... I picked up a comic book or two and was automatically into all things Batman. It's not like I went and saw the movie and all of a sudden, like, you know, there I was in. What I really owe my appreciation to, of the character to, is Mark Cattavaz's book, as well as two other books that I got and, and read in 1989. The first was actual comics. It was the greatest Batman stories ever told. I had the trade paperback Warner Books edition of the trade paperback and has this gorgeous Walt Simonson cover. If you ever want me to, to listen to me talk about that more in depth, as well as uh, The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 2, you can find me and Mike Bailey talking about that on the Bailey's Batman podcast. One of the first few episodes of that is The Greatest Stories Ever Told, The Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 1. And then the first episode of his revival of it was, I believe, Volume 2. I think it was he and I kicked it off. And I think, as of this recording, it's not out yet, but we do have a Nightfall episode in, in the can somewhere. But the cool thing about that is, in that trade are some great stories. I mean, granted, they are the greatest stories ever told. And, and Michael has this intro that talks about like the requirements for that. And um, in, in that book, you've got not just stuff that was from like the 70s and the 80s, some Neil Adams stuff, Marshall Rogers stuff, etc. You've got great stories from the 40s, the 50s, and the early 60s that I came back to over and over and over again when I was like 12, 13, 14 years old. Like the origin of the Batman, the first Batman, and Robin dies at dawn. And then the more recent stuff to that, or at least, you know, recent in, in terms of that time frame, the Deadshot Ricochet, uh, the autobiography of Bruce Wayne. I mean, the, both just amazing. And, and I still have my, I still have this very exact copy, the copy that I got in 1989, I still flip through it. I still read my favorite stories. It's just that good of a collection. The other One of the other books I got was a short story collection called The Further Adventures of Batman. 
which I'm pretty sure came out in 89. I think it came out right around the time of the movie. I think I got it for my birthday that year, or I got it the following fall from a uh, Scholastic Book Club flyer. That's how I got that black and white paperback book version of um, The Untold Legend of of the Batman, which uh, years later I would find all three issues in uh, 50 cent boxes at my LCS. And so now I actually have the full color Untold Legend of the Batman Whereas for years, um, and I don't know what happened to that. I might have, for all I knew, I, I sold that on eBay years ago when I was doing a huge purge. But um, the only the only resource I ever had for that was the little pocketbooks paperback that <laughs> that I had. But anyway, the further adventures of the Batman. These these were prose. They were short stories, and um, I read it all the way through once. I don't remember what happened to it since I left home. I don't know if that was thrown away, donated. If I sold that on eBay, like back in the early two thousands, um, for all I know, it's somewhere in my parents' house. Maybe I, I really don't know. And but if I ever come across it at a show or in a used bookstore, and it's reasonably priced, uh, I'm definitely going to grab it. And honestly, aside from a which way Superman book, and which way books were basically an off-brand choose-your-own-adventure series of books from the '80s. That collection of Batman stories was the first time I ever read full-on prose adventures of a superhero. So, you know, just as the greatest Batman stories ever told was my collection of, my first collection of older comics and different versions of the character. Now, prior to that, I had the One Brave and the Bold comic that until a couple years after picking up these books, I didn't even remember owning and just kind of came across in like this old suitcase I used to take to my grandma's while we were cleaning things out for giving stuff to Goodwill. And I'd read a character's past stories in the occasional Marvel tales that I come across, if you're talking about the other, the competition. And my school library, my elementary school library, did have a copy of the book, uh, Superman from the 30s to the 70s, which I think I might have checked out once or twice. But I graduated from elementary school in the spring of 89, especially, um, I think, like literally like a week or maybe even a few days before uh, the Batman movie came out because New York uh, lets out their schools late. It wasn't until about a year later when I started collecting Batman comics for real that I was in the Sable Public Library. And I'd gone there for no reason except for that it was one of the few places I would go to <laughs> when I was a teenager. Um, and I say this with a sense of pride. I know I'm laughing, but I say it with a sense of pride because not only do I know that a lot of my listeners, you know, both of you, probably did the same thing at their libraries, but I got so much out of going through there. I mean, I used to flip through the New York Times on microfilm. I would check out CDs and then I'd make mixtapes from the stuff I liked. I'd walk through the stacks in search of Star Trek novels or Time Life Mysteries of the Unknown. One time, I discovered Section 741 in the Dewey Decimal System in nonfiction. This is the section, if you're unfamiliar with it, has to do with art, animation, and, by extension, comic books. Among those books in that section was a huge paperback edition of Tales of the Dark Knight, Batman's First 50 Years by Mark Conovaz. So you've gotten a little bit of my Batman origin story, in a sense. You've gotten a little bit about the 
different non-comics pieces or non-individual issues pieces, because I guess the greatest Batman stories ever told is technically a comic book, even though it's a trade. Uh, that influenced me, that made me a Bat fan. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a break, and then I'm going to get into, in depth, of my review and kind of my story behind my discovery of Tales of the Dark Knight, Batman's first 50 years. Stick around. Andy, I have an amazing idea. Let's do a podcast. We've been talking about doing this for years. That sounds great. So what should we talk about? Something no one else is talking about. Batman. <sighs> Mike, there are hundreds of Batman shows out there. You used to do one. True. Well, maybe we could do an index show. Are you insane? We both already host those. True again. Okay, maybe we could talk about Batman stories no one else does. Like the Jerry Conway run. Ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah, we could discuss his entire run and then go into the Doug Mensch run. But we won't be tied down to that. We need to be free to talk about other Batman stories from that era as well. And we could call it The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Great! Uh, I guess we should do a trailer. I think we kind of just did. Yeah, but it's missing something. Like, you should have added music behind us or something. Andy, I have an amazing idea. Let's do a podcast. We've been talking about doing this for years. That sounds great! So, what should we talk about? Something no one else is talking about. Batman. <sighs> Mike... There are hundreds of Batman shows out there. You used to do one. True. Well, maybe we could do an index show. Are you insane? We both already host those. True again. Okay, maybe we could talk about Batman stories no one else does. Like the Jerry Conway run. Ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah, we could discuss his entire run and then go into the Doug Mensch run. But we won't be tied down to that. We need to be free to talk about other Batman stories from that era as well. And we could call it The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Great! The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. New episodes drop on the 14th and 28th of every month. The show and the website, www.overlookeddarknight.com, launch in May of 2017. From the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network. So it shouldn't come as any surprise that this book, Tales of the Dark Knight, grabbed my attention right away. I mean, here was a book entirely about Batman. And as I flipped through it, I would just stop and stare at all the things that were reprinted, you know, colors in full color, pages upon pages of pictures and reprinted panels. In fact, when I checked it out the first time, I don't think I actually wound up reading the text of the book. I think I flipped through it. I looked at the pictures. I read through the panels. I looked at their captions, and that was it. And then I returned it when it was due. And then every time, like every single time I went to the library after that, I would head down to Section 741, and if it was there... I'd check the book out, and if it was not, I'd be annoyed, and I'd have to come back to see if it was in, even though I think I checked that book out like 5, 10, 15 times before I finally, you know, just stopped looking for it in the library. 
And I guess I could have probably asked my parents to buy me a copy because I checked it out like all the time. But the problem with that was this was the pre-Amazon wish list, pre-internet days. And I know that's a cliche for people of my, my generation to say, but you really do have to think of what a pain in the ass it was to ask for something that was not popular or that was like relatively obscure or a little hard to find back then you know it's not like i was asking for a copy of the dark knight returns or batman year one which i did and i did get but those were like at walden books and then eventually they were at borders and um so if, if i asked my parents for a book that or an album or a movie or something that was pretty popular and readily available they were going to be able to get it for me but this this was nobody had heard of this i came across this by chance and so if, if I wanted something like this, I'd have to be able to find it in the store myself. And then what I would have to do was basically put on my wish list, like what store, what shelf it was, where it was. I had to practically like draw a map to the book in the store to get my parents to buy the book for me or just point out like where it was. Which is going a little too far, but I think my sister and I were kind of both like that because there were certain things like we absolutely wanted. So in the case of this book, I never saw it in a bookstore. Um, it might have gone out of print shortly after 1989 or whatever. They probably just did the one print run because it was 50 years and that was it. So I never saw it, so therefore I never asked for it. And that that that's why I would go and get it from the library. And as I got older and I stopped going to the library because I moved away, essentially, I pretty much forgot it existed. And and I gotta be honest, I more or less forgot libraries existed through most of my twenties. Not that I didn't know they existed, but it was one of those things where like it wasn't until really until my thirties that I really started going to the library again on a regular basis. That's a whole other story for a whole other podcast, by the way. Anyway, let's fast forward from 1989 about 20 years later to about 20 years later. And, and I'm in a used bookstore in Charlottesville. And I can't remember why I'm there. I was probably like killing time or something uh, because I had to be somewhere. And uh, I go through their literature. I'm looking at their science fiction and then I'm like, oh, that they have graphic novels. They have like two shelves of graphic novels. There really wasn't very much there. But among those shelves, and, and I saw a couple of things like some 90s trades and things that I wasn't interested, I saw a copy of this book. And upon seeing it, I had this like instant hit of nostalgia. I was like, oh, wow, wow, I remember this. And I think I'm going to flip through it a little bit. And I, I don't think I bought it that day because I probably didn't have any money on me or, or something. I was I just remember I remember putting it back on the shelf and then getting it later on, either through eBay. I might have gone back and actually bought that copy. I, I'm trying to remember. But it did resurface in my life courtesy of a used bookstore. So now I own my own copy. So looking at the book here, the cover is by Sigmund Pifko. It shows Batman on top of an Art Deco style skyscraper with the bat signal behind him. And I think he's, oh, and he is standing on the book's title. The entire cover has that 30s Art Deco feel. And I assume that's what they were going for. Uh, Pifko is not an artist I was ever familiar with. I actually Googled him. So this was not like it was by uh, Dick Giordano or Neil Adams or Dave Dorman who did a number of the covers. I think Dave Dorman did a version of the Dick Giordano hardcover edition of Tales of the Dark Knight at one point. 
and not Tales of the Dark Knight. I'm sorry, that's the book I'm talking about. Greatest Batman stories ever told. So it's not like that or Neil Adams or somebody. Um, but Pifko has done a number of commercial illustrations. I just was flipping through his um, his website's profile, and I saw like Coca-Cola era Santa Clauses and things like that. So, um, so I guess that is like what they were going for and it's a really nice cover because the back bat signal is striking it feels old hollywood in that way it, it it brings up old noir movies and things and it and it definitely gets the attention it gets your attention you know you, you see that you see the logo and you can see that logo uh really from across a room if this was facing you on a shelf and that's pretty cool so when we open up the book, in opposite the first title page, you have a black and white reprint of George Perez's full-length splash introducing Batman from the history of the DC Universe. The dedication is to Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson, Dick Sprang, and the other Golden Age greats, and to five decades of fans and creators who have dreamed of the Dark Knight. And now uh, below that is a Batman and Robin panel from Batman number four. And... On the next page is this gorgeous Dick Sprang 1987 illustration that has the dynamic duo swinging into action with the Joker, Penguin, and Two-Face looking at them. And now, it's hard to summarize this book because it's a retrospective and a reference piece. Kadavaz gives us a history of Batman, but he also gives us chapters that like have their own themes. Looking at, for instance, Batman in World War II in Chapter 4. Uh, detective science in chapter 11 how he gets in and out of traps and like chapter 12 or so uh, the loves of batman in chapter 13 plus between the chapters not all of them between some of the chapters are special dossiers each of them um having a more specific focus than say more of a general topic uh the first one for example is all about how batman comics show the holiday of christmas and it includes a full-page shot of the cover to Batman number 27, which shows Batman, Robin, and Santa Claus. It says, like, Season's Greetings from Batman and Robin. And then a two-page spread that has the cover of Batman number 239, which is a, uh, uh, which I think is a Neil Adams, or it's Neil Adams or Nick Carty, but I'm pretty sure it's Neil Adams. On the left-hand side is this very, very poor family standing by an empty fireplace. And the right-hand side is Batman with a sack of presents on his, um, on his shoulder with a fake beard on him, um, ready, ready to knock on the door. And then among that two-page spread is the seven-page story, The Silent Night of the Batman from Batman 219. Now, there are other dossiers in the book, of course. There, there's one about the there's an entire one that's several pages about, like the, like the Batcave, for instance. And I guess, like, that one and, and some of the other ones are, I guess, more appropriate, some would say, to the character. Uh, like, the one of the noir elements that are in the comics, both past, present, and uh, hopefully future. But what I like about the book, and this is something I was noticing as I went through it and reread it and, and flipped through it again, is how Kadavaz is not afraid to delve into the softer and even, well, goofier elements of the character's history. Moreover, he isn't dismissive of that history either. Chapter 9, for instance, is an entire chapter devoted to Batman's time travel adventures. And these time travel adventures go back as early as the 1940s. And he just, what he does in the book is he just kind of tells us about them. There, there's little to no indication that this is not like the right way to do a Batman story or that 
the redirections over the of the characters over the years somehow fixed him because this is like the embarrassing part of his history. I mean, I have my preferred Batman, and that preferred Batman is a toss-up between uh, that of the Engelhart Rogers run of the 70s on Detective and the Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogle Batman of the early 90s. But this book is full of samples of these kind of goofier, sillier stories, um, as is the greatest Batman stories ever told. And as much as I used to immerse myself in the stuff from the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s, I feel like in reading, say, excerpts from this or the greatest Batman stories ever told, I cut my teeth on these older stories. So it's great to see this get as much attention as, like, Frank Miller will later in the book. Another chapter that really got my attention was the second chapter of the book. This is called The Dark Nights of the Past. Here, uh, he gets into the influence that other elements of popular culture had on Batman's creation. He talks about epic heroes, characters that were in old boys' magazines, such as one called The Man in Black from a magazine-slash-paper called The Boys of New York, uh, pulp heroes like The Shadow, 1930s gangster movies, Dick Tracy. And while uh, while he's not going so in-depth that it seems like he forgot the book was about Batman, uh, Kadavaz is giving us more than just this cursory glance at these characters, saying, okay, these characters are here, and you know, but here's Batman. It's more like he's showing us like who they were and what they were about and how they directly influenced Batman or indirectly influenced Batman and showing us that Batman's neither a new nor a unique concept. Rather, he's a variation on a theme. And this variation of the theme, as we go further and further to his history, keeps repeating itself and keeps showing up and adjusts to the time, which is one of the things that makes the character so enduring. I think Mike Bailey is the one who's um, fond of saying that all you have to do is add another zero to the Wayne fortune, and you can go ahead and kill his parents on a street corner in 2019, and the story still works. And Part of it is because that's a very common, not a common way to die, but it's a very realistic origin or a realistic origin point. And then you have a character whose basic elements you can adjust to the time without really losing a lot of what you know what you have there. And you can pull from maybe more contemporary references if you need to uh in the same way that like in the 70s we had a lot of like almost batman as james bond stuff or in uh like in the 50s we had a lot of science fiction stuff with the dark knight so so we, we see that we see this variation of the theme reflecting notions of society at the time good and bad and um and it really works and it's what it's one of the things that that even he says in the book has made the character endure and he goes into the comics role in uh, throughout the history of the character as well. He talks about comics in World War II. 
Um, in fact, I remember going back to this book, and then I think the Overstreet Price Guide for the World War II unit in eighth grade history, and photocopying some of the pages and, and pointing out like to the class that this is what comics in World War II were like, and they were like propaganda pieces on the covers to get you to buy war bonds as a kid and things like that. But then he also does The Seduction of the Innocent, um, and you know, I didn't read all this book in the 90s, of course. But between, but I, but I skimmed enough, and I, and I knew enough from this and from Les Daniels' book about Marvel, that I learned what that book was, Seduction of the Innocent, and I, I learned the, the effects that Doctor Vertham um, and his anti-comics crusade had on the industry, the creation of the code, and everything. And these are things that I would later on really come to know, and I've read about and reread. Um, and if you really want a good episode of a show, um, go back to the archives of Uncovering the Bronze Age with M. Middleton and listen to uh, the the whole history and this really, really wonderfully deep analysis that M. does of Seduction of the Innocent. It's it's like a one of the best podcast episodes about comics ever produced, to be completely honest with you. So, um, aside from that, Katavaz, like... He could go over it quickly, and this is the kind of the point I was, I was trying to make here, is that he could go over this very, very quickly, but he takes his time, and he really explains what the controversy about Vertham and about Seduction of the Innocent in comics in the 50s was about. And like I said, I listened to a podcast episode to get more about it years later, and I'm sure that other books and other books and DVDs have done more about this, because Seduction of the Innocent is not exactly easy to come by. Uh, I'm sure you could get like a digital copy nowadays, but he's he he takes his time and he's very deliberate with a number of things that don't exactly aren't exactly like wham pow you know batman 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 and he does that so he can show you a little bit of the history of the industry and a little bit of history of our culture alongside the history of the characters so on the page and behind the scenes and i think he balances that really really well um, and the book itself really does move along at a quick pace. I think one of the advantages of it is that you have those thematic chapters. So we get closer and closer and closer to the contemporary pieces of history. There's even a chapter called Batman in the 80s. But the thematic ones don't just say, okay, now here's all the noir stuff and it's 1974 or whatever. No, it's like, Let's go back and look at where things were and where they are now. Because like I said, despite us being nudged forward in time, he points out that we have this constant through line of a narrative, of a variation on these older themes, of how things are fresh and new to us in the way a creative team brings things to the Dark Knight. But we go back and see um, how they are in the past very very similar and how they're drawing on things that have already been there um and and in the years since because it's been 30 years since we've seen this time and again whether it be through reboots or, or continuity things or just different creators coming on and leaving their stamp on the character and then leaving you know what have you we have um we have 80 years now of batman and I mean, this is not the most exhaustive history of the character. And I only, I, I talked about a few of the chapters that really stood out to me. The chapter on the television show is really, really well done. 
because it just gives us a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff, interviews with the creators and, and how it was developed and things. And then it goes into some character profiles. And there's a whole chapter on Robin. There's this whole thing about Alfred in there. And while there are other things out there, like the the, the Encyclopedia of Batman has been out for a while, um, that's something I can pick up. Uh, yeah, the Visual Encyclopedia that DK Books put out, you know, and it has been reprinted and reprinted and reprinted. And... If I was 12 years old and that was on the shelf, I would have totally, like, grabbed that. But it wasn't. And this served for 12-year-old me to be this gateway, this, fo- this, this fountain of knowledge of this character that beyond the one trade and the other book of short stories I had was all I was ever really going to get. And the illustrations alone were worth it. I mean, I've already mentioned a few, but the variety of black and white reprints of panels, pages, even whole stories is just staggering. I realize that now with the internet, there are digital reprints of so many things. We have trades of just about everything nowadays. But when I first looked through this book in, in 89 and 90 and 91, etc., there were panels from books that were going for like five, ten, even twenty bucks at my LCS. So I couldn't afford, you know, Ten Nights of the Beast, like all the chapters. They were going for a decent amount of money back then. Um, I eventually got the trade. Um, I couldn't afford Detective Comics five seventy four, which actually I did buy for like five dollars, a five dollar book back then, you know, in back issues. But you know. I could flip through here and I could see stuff from the recent past that's now going for a decent amount of money um, in 1989 and be like, oh, that's what's inside this book. Or stuff that I had not even seen certain books in the back issue bins, like, you know, 70s, 60s, 50s issues of Batman. And there's there's little reprints of things inside there. So it was this whole, like, this is the first place I was ever able to see some of this stuff. And, and that was what I really, really enjoyed about this book. And it's what I enjoy about flipping through it. The best part about it, and I'm saving the best part of, my, of this, as I've done kind of this cursory review of the book, really was just kind of gushing about, like, how fun it is to see kind of a complete history The best part about it is that it has 48 glossy cover reprints from various eras. So, like, even now, whenever I pull this book off the shelf, I, like, pause and I just stare at the covers and just look at them and look at them in reprinted detail. So you have, of course, you have Detective 27, uh, but then you have Detective 52 and Batman number 4. And then, of course, Batman number 9, which is that iconic um, Jack Burnley Batman holding up his cloak with Robin. They're both in the spotlight. Uh, Detective 61, which is Batman Robin versus the Three Racketeers, which shows the Bat plane swooping down on a tank in the middle of um, in the middle of Gotham or something. And I've always loved how they drew the city, the the style of buildings they drew, and things like that. Batman and rescuing Robin from a submarine on Detective Number. 70 Batman 14 um, a classic detective number 71 with the Joker peeling pages off of a calendar for a crime a day and then we have um, two subsequent war comic uh, you have world's finest number 9 which has Batman Superman and Robin throwing baseballs at uh, what I believe is Hitler Mussolini and here and um, 
Hirohito or, or whoever, and it says, knock out the Axis with bonds and stamps, and then Batman number 17, where they're riding an eagle, saying, keep the American eagle flying by war bonds and stamps. Batman 20, with, with the Batmobile just bursting through the cover. Batman 23, playing chess with the Joker. A Christmas one of Robin trying to put the star on the tree and almost knocking it over. And Batman number 33. The origin of the Batman, one of my all-time favorite Batman stories. The cover to that is Batman number 47. Uh, a two-faced cover from Batman number 50. And the first section rounds out with the flying Batman from Detective number 153 from November of 1949. And then as we flip forward, so I used to flip through those, but the ones I used to to really, really pour over were in the in the other two sections. In the middle section, you've got some of the goofier 50 covers, uh, Batman becoming a human fish in Batman 118, and the ice crimes of Mr. Zero in 121, and... Batmite riding Ace the Bat Hound, holding a picture of Batwoman in Batman 133, uh, an annual, Batman annual number one, Batman and Ro- 2 and Robin 2 meet the son of the Joker and <laughs> in Batman 145, and Batman and Robin 2, like, like you wouldn't just have your kid carry on your legacy of just wearing a Batman costume, but there's like a little Roman numeral 2 below the Batman thing, and the Bronze Menace in 302. But then we get to, like, Robin Dies at Dawn, Batman 156, which has that iconic cover, even though it's on an alien world. And, and that's really an all-time favorite one of mine. And then we have, flip ahead a couple of covers, Detective number 347, which is a Carmen Infantino cover with Murphy Anderson inks, and it's got Robin upset on the cover, tears streaming out from underneath his mask, holding a Gotham City Press cover that says extra batman killed and he, batman's dead on the cover and it says there'll be never be another story like this there'll never be another the strange death of the batman do not reveal the surprise ending of the story to your friends they'll want to get the same kick out of it that you did i've never read this issue i will have to track it down to see if i can find it digitally um we get this great infantino anderson cover of B- batman number 194 of blockbuster just smashing the word Batman is Batman drops in from the top of the cover. Um, and then we get into some of the Neil Adams ones, the demon of Gothos mansion from Batman 227, uh, Batman 244 with, uh, Raj Agul holding Batman's it's uh, well, okay. It's a gorgeous cover. Cause Batman looks like he's dead on the ground and Raj Agul standing over him. It says the demon lives again. And it looks like he's holding Batman's entire uniform, uh, except for the um, cowl, which Batman's wearing, but Batman's also wearing pants in this, unless that's supposed to be shadow. But even though the uniform looks like he's wearing, looks like it has the pants. I guess the point is that Raja Ghul's defeated Batman, and it's Neil Adams, and you really just don't question what, why Batman is wearing pants. And then Batman 251, the jo- which I believe was the Joker's five-way revenge, and there's Batman attached to that ace of spades with the Joker holding it, and it says, look out, Gotham, the Joker's back in town. As we flip through to the ones that were more recent to that, here are some that I've never read uh, that I'll have to find, which is Batman 348, uh, sorry, Batman 358, 
Ed Hannigan, Dick Giordano inks. There's a bat signal. There is somebody holding a gun and firing at it. It looks like the cover has been shattered. Detective 526, which celebrated Batman's 500th appearance. A cover that is just basically a Dick Don Newton cover with that looks is very standard Batman, Robin, and Batgirl, almost like merchandising standard with a bunch of uh, floating heads of villains and supporting characters. But the the old DC anniversary banner at the top trade dress thing was on there and and those always attracted me in the 80s and 90s whenever i saw one in the back issue bin i'd, I'd see if i could if it was worth it i mean i think I'd, i grabbed the legion of superheroes one because it had a anniversary on it and i was like ooh, i want to read this just because it says anniversary i'm a sucker for a good marketing scheme like that a cover from the uh from batman 377 which was part of that very long nocturna jason todd uh, thing you have Batman 385 by Paris Cullens where he is atop a building walking with a flashlight in the rain. It's, it says Night of Peril, Day of Doom. It's a really cool looking, really cool looking cover. The cover to Dark Knight number one. Um, the cover to Batman number 400. The cover to Batman 393. Uh, a Paul Galassi cover that has. Batman is an orange because he's he's lit by the torch he's holding, and there's all these knives coming at him. So it's like mid moments, really really cool looking. Again, have never read this book, have no idea if that happens in it, but damn if I don't want to um, read that. The cover to Batman Year One Part One by David Mazzucchelli. The cover to Detective 572, an anniversary issue again. And again, I was a sucker for those anniversary issues. I actually first read this for the first time uh, recently this year because I got the Dark Knight Detective trade that they put out. So I finally, finally read this Sherlock Holmes story, uh, as well as Detective 583, which is a Norm Brayfogle issue, but it's a Mike Mignola cover. The first part of Ten Knights of the Beast, the killing I hate the killing joke. I will come out and say that I said in other shows I hate the killing joke. Brian Boland's cover for the killing joke is absolutely gorgeous. It's just the uh, you know it's, I know what it implies and everything but I do love Boland's Joker that's the only thing I really love about the killing joke is the cover. Norm Brayfogle's gorgeous gorgeous Batman uh, Detective 590 cover with him standing with in England with Big Ben in the in the background and we've got his back and the cape is just flowing oh my god it's so gorgeous um the cover to number book one of the cult again this is this is where I first learned that the cult existed and I would see this as a wall book for a while um, a couple of years ago, I purchased all four of those at uh, the Baltimore Comic-Con, and eventually Andy Leyland and I did this, did an episode on it. 428, which is, of course, Jason Todd dead on the cover of A Death in the Family. And then Batman 591, which is another Norm Brayfogle cover, looks really cool. Um, it's kind of an odd pick. I guess it might have been a more recent, recent cover. Uh, there were covers that would come out later in... Um, in the 80s and the 90s that I would have put in here if they were doing a second printing or a continued edition of this. Uh, especially some Norm Brayfogle covers, some Michael Golden covers of the early 90s on Detective and things like that. I mean, there's just so many different things you could do with Batman of, of this time. So so to sum it all up, because like I said, I just kind of waxed this book's car, so to speak. It's a great book. 
uh, if you could find it on eBay, just pick it up just for the the fact that like this is what they were talking about at Batman in, in 1989 in terms of the comics, and this is where we were at the time. All these great panels inside there, all these great covers. It's just a great book to read and look at. It is a wonderful companion to two other Batman reference books that I own, one of them being uh, Batman The Complete History by Les Daniels, which I think a number of people I know also own. And then Michael Fleischer's The Encyclopedia of Comic Book Heroes, which in itself is an exhausting bat-reference tome. It's fun to flip through, though. Man, I have a lot of fun flipping through the the, the Encyclopedia of Superheroes. I have, I have all three editions, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. But like I said, I think you can find this on eBay, and hopefully it won't be a lot of money if you do. And uh, I really do recommend checking it out. Now, as for me, next time it's episode 99, and as promised way back in the epic long episode 95, which I'm not the only one who, well, my wife even said, hey, that was too long, um, we were going to do another episode just like that with 1999. I'm going to try to not make it as long as it is, uh, maybe actually have a little more of an outline, but Amanda and I will be back on the couch talking about the music, the culture, movies, etc. of... 1999 and that puts us just another episode away from episode 100 which is going to be a big one so until then you can find me on twitter at popaff that's p-o-p-a-f-f check out the blog for journal entries blog entries essays etc uh go to the facebook group leave itunes reviews send emails etc and as always thank you very much for listening and take care thanks for listening to pop culture affidavit all clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review at illustrative purposes only so no infringement is intended feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com you can also follow the podcast on facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit for more content including show notes media and essays be sure to check out the blog which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.